Uh, did you know that God wants to use you um, to play a part in a miracle? That's uh, true. Uh, last week we looked at our, uh, we began our series on miracles, and we looked at Jesus' very first miracle in the Gospel of John, uh, turning the water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And one of the things that we learned is that it's one thing to believe that God can do a miracle. It's another thing to believe that God will do a miracle in our lives. But we also learned something else, and that is that God is very much concerned about even the small things of life. We also saw that miracles, or signs as John calls them, were used to reveal the divinity of Jesus and to increase the faith of his followers. Today what we're going to learn is that God wants to use you and me, that God wants to use us in bringing about these supernatural events, that you and I, we have a role to play in the miraculous. You see, miracles did not start or stop with Jesus. Uh, We see them in Exodus with Moses and then with Joshua. We see them with the Old Testament prophets, especially Elijah and Elisha. Uh, After the day of Pentecost, we see the disciples performing miracles. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, it says this, that everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, while being a part of a miracle sounds really cool, you need to know that oftentimes, at least in the book of Acts, there was a cost to be paid, that it was not unusual for the apostles to end up in jail or something worse after a miracle uh, took place. So miracles were the norm for the early church. And we learned last week as well that that, uh, miracles were not unusual in the early Methodist movement either. Which brings us to chapter 6. We read here about Jesus feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle uh, besides the resurrection that occurs in all four of the gospel accounts. Uh, Usually Matthew and Mark and Luke have very different material and timelines than John. But here it appears in all four of the gospels telling us that this was very important in the telling of of the gospel story. And it begins this way. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So Mark's gospel has this taking place as the disciples were returning from a preaching and healing mission. Uh, Jesus had sent them out in groups of two to heal the sick and to preach the gospel and had gone very well. And so all the disciples, they were back together and they were sharing all the great stories of changed lives. But they are absolutely exhausted, and and so Jesus suggested a little R&R. And so they climbed into a boat, and they uh, headed off for a quiet retreat uh, on a mountain getaway. Well, it's evening, 
And they're up on the mountainside. They are hanging out, just the 12 of them and, and Jesus. And then Jesus looks and he sees coming up the side of the mountain a, a large crowd. Can you imagine how the disciples must have felt? I mean, they're not happy. Uh, they seem to have a serious case of compassion fatigue. They had been on the road for, for days, maybe weeks, giving themselves in, in ministry to people, and they have nothing left to give. They are bone tired. And maybe you have felt that way at times, you know. Uh, sometimes it takes all we have just to get through the day, uh, to meet our own needs and, and to care for those people that we're responsible for. And we find ourselves worn out and, and tapped out and burned out. And we get home and, and we have nothing else to give. You ever felt that way? So the disciples, they see the crowd coming up, and they know that there's going to be a problem, but as far as they were concerned, it wasn't going to be their problem. Somebody else was going to have to take care of this. It wasn't going to be them, or so they thought. Jesus looks at Philip, and he says, Philip, yes, Lord, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed all of these people? And verse 6, John gives us some insight into what Jesus was thinking. Verse 6 says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Jesus is asking Philip. This is not an ethical test. Jesus is trying to help Philip. He's, he's trying to help the 12 to see that feeding this crowd is impossible from a human point of view. It can't be done. In fact, Mark's gospel tells us that 5,000 men showed up, plus women and children. So that was a big crowd. It may have even been double that 5,000. It might have been close to 10,000. So Philip looks at the multitude, and he sums it up. He says, well, Lord, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, notice he doesn't say have a meal. What does he say? Have a, have a bite. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? You notice John is making the point that these are small fish. These are small loaves of bread. This isn't a 900-pound tuna. <laughs> These are just little, little bluegills. Can't be done. It's impossible. They didn't have enough time. It was too late in the day to go in search of food. And if they had time, they didn't have the money. And even if they had the time and the money, it wasn't going to solve anything because these people would still be around in the morning wanting breakfast. I mean, these people needed to take responsibility for themselves, right? Didn't your dad teach you there's no free lunch? Did your dad teach you that? Okay, a couple of you know that. What's going on? The disciples are focused on what they don't have. They, they have this mentality of scarcity. 
And we do the same thing, don't we? We don't have the money, don't have the time, don't have the training. We don't have an outgoing personality. We're kind of like the first graders uh, who, when the teacher asks, how many of you brought your lunch today, raised up their hands and said, we didn't, we didn't. (laughs) See, Jesus doesn't care what we don't have. What he wants to know is what we do have. He's not asking us if we have thousands of dollars to, to give to the poor and hungry. He's asking us if we have a few dollars to help buy school supplies for some needy children. He's not asking us uh, if we'll be missionaries. He's not asking us for our lives for 40 hours or, or, or 20 hours or even 10 hours. He's just asking us if we have a, a few minutes to serve in some small way. To get the point, Jesus isn't asking us to give what we don't have. He's simply asking us to look at what we do have and do something with it. And then he'll take it from there. People were hungry. They needed to be fed. What did Jesus say to his disciples? You give them something to eat. You feed them. God wants to use us Now, I don't know about you, but I don't usually think that way, and neither do his disciples. They basically said, we don't have anything to offer. There's nothing that we can do. This one is beyond us. This one is is bigger than we are. This is more than we can handle. But God says to them, you do it. We say, no, I'm not going to do it. God says, you're the one that I want to use, and we say, no, God, I'm not. God says, you're the one that I want to to use to solve this, to fix this, to accomplish this. And and we say, no, God, I'm sorry, but I can't do it. You see, when it comes to what God wants to do, we are it. (laughs) And if you're a follower of, of, of Jesus, there's a call in your life. Did you know that? And he calls us to be a part of, of his mission on this planet. And you're thinking, well, what is that mission? Well, he tells us in Matthew 28, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. My friends, this mission is so clear. This message is so direct. It's so compelling. It's so all-encompassing that it is known as the Great Commission. And God invites us to be a part of it. Okay, so what is it that God is doing? Well, first and foremost, God is reclaiming a lost world to himself. He wants to bring grace and forgiveness and and reconciliation and and restoration and and, and new beginnings and and new identities to people's lives. He wants to give hope and, and healing. He wants to give a wholeness and meaning. To our lives. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to strengthen families. He wants to infuse a sense of calling into each life. And, and most of all, he wants to change their destinies. You see, Jesus is on a mission to, to save people from their lostness. But it's not just people that he wants to save. God wants to advance his kingdom in all areas of life. God is on the march against poverty and disease and and homelessness and crime. God has declared war on racism and and injustice and oppression and, 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 and abuse. 
And on every page of the Bible, we learn that God is on the side of the weak and the unprotected, the widow and the orphan, the infant and the infirm. And the thing is, is that God's plan is to use you to bring all this about. Sounds overwhelming, doesn't it? I can't do that. But as we do, we'll begin to discover that we have more than enough. Jesus organized the crowd, had everybody sit down in groups. He took the loaves and he gave the blessing and he passed the fish and bread around. And as he does, something supernatural begins to happen. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So what happens? Not only is there enough, there is more than enough. Twelve baskets, in fact. One for each disciple uh, to carry. And I don't know about you, but what I see in this is that God is simply showing off. <laughs> that, that God wants to show us that there is no scarcity, that, that when we put things into his hands, that there is more than enough. And so God is saying, I'm going to go way beyond your expectations. I'm going to go way into the realm of the impossible. God wants to use us, but God will bring the power for the miracle. Man, there's always been all sorts of attempts to explain away this miracle. I remember when I was a teenager sitting in church one day and I heard the preacher say that when this little boy shared his brown bag lunch, it so inspired everyone that they brought out the food that they had been keeping for themselves, that they had been hiding, and, and voila, suddenly there's more for everybody. But even at that young of age, it didn't ring true with me. I mean, why would people come to faith because Jesus inspired people to share, <laughs> to share their lunch? No, I think the only explanation, the only reasonable explanation for what happened that day is that Jesus performed a miracle. And what we learn is that he wants to work with whatever you have to bring to him. That if we bring what we have and if we do what we can, Jesus will take over from there. God will empower you. God's power takes what you bring, what you offer, what you do, and he multiplies that exponentially in ways that only God can do. I mean, do you think Jesus even needed that little boy's lunch? Did he even need the five small barley loaves and the two fish? No. So why did he ask for them? He asked for them because he wanted people to see that when they brought what they had to the table, that he would bring what he had to the table. And when they offered to serve with their lives, then he would bring his life and he would bring his power and infuse it with something supernatural. You see, when it comes to, to God working in our lives, most of us are waiting for God to do something for us. But did you ever think that, that maybe God wants to do something 
through us. And so what do you have right now that Jesus is asking you to bring to him? But maybe you just think it's too small. Maybe you think it's too insignificant. Or perhaps you're afraid that if you bring it, that God won't show up. Let me ask you, what is God asking you to bring? What is he calling you to give? Your gifts, your abilities, your money, your prayers, your time. Maybe you have the gift of helps and you think that if you try to help somewhere that it won't matter. That God won't use you. That nobody cares. And my friends, if that's how you're living, then you're going to miss out on this miracle of, of multiplication. I mean, it is indeed a miracle. It is a God thing. But it's a God thing that you can experience. You see, you were meant to experience this. Again, when John tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, he adds that interesting line. Right after he, 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 Jesus asked for what they had, John writes, he already had in mind what he was going to do. So think about that. God already knows what he wants to do through you when you bring him what you have, when you use your gifts, your abilities, your, your, your time. He's just waiting to see if, if you'll bring it. And when you do, it's going to be multiplied. And not just through you, but it's going to be multiplied for you. See, its, it's impact will be multiplied not just in, in other people's lives, but in your life as well. Giving and serving is not just for the benefit of others. It is also for your benefit as well. I mean, think about what happened. Not only were, were thousands of people fed, there were 12 baskets full of food left over. Does your life, does your career experience that kind of production, that kind of yield, that, that kind of outcome? You see, a, a life that has impact is a life that has launched itself into the great mission that, that God is unleashing on this planet through Christ. And when you give your gifts and your resources and your, and your time and your sweat, most of all, when you give your servant's heart to Christ's mission, God will show up. He will empower your efforts he will multiply your results. He will work through you in ways that only he can work. And the results will be beyond anything that you've ever dreamed of or imagined. You see, getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend, getting into college or getting a job and family, buying a house, putting some money away, taking trips and, and then retiring, that's not the essence that's not the purpose of your life. There's another life that God promises, a, a life that you can live, a, a life in which you give yourself away. And it's in this kind of life that God will show up and, and, and multiply things in supernatural ways that only he can do. And he will give that kind of life the, the significance, the, the weight, the, the force that it was meant to have. And the multiplication will be absolutely amazing. Well, last week we read about how Jesus uh, turned water into wine and, and how it can be a, a little challenging sometimes to explain to people just why Jesus performed this miracle. I mean, why would people who already had plenty to drink need more? And what we learn is that Jesus simply cares about the little stuff in our lives. But today's why is a, is a little bit easier to understand. One reason is this, that, that, that Jesus simply wanted to bless people. 
You see, this, this crowd wasn't in danger of, of starving. They had walked there. They could walk back home. They weren't miles away in the desert, in the wilderness. They, they probably had money in their pockets, and so they could have walked to the nearest pizza shop, or they could have done Uber Eats, or Grubhubs would have delivered it, I'm sure. Jesus is simply doing this to bless these people with a free meal. He wanted to give them a, a taste of God's goodness and, and a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. That's what we've been doing at the Salem campus uh, every uh, Thursday, we started a, a grocery giveaway when people started losing their jobs because of the virus. Uh, one woman that we were able to help had been living in her car for weeks. Uh, the church is on the route to the metro, and, and the driver of the bus started stopping on Thursdays and asking his passengers, hey, does anybody need uh, groceries? This church is passing them out for free. We didn't ask him to do that. But it's kind of cool that he did. And then this summer, we decided to go beyond a grocery giveaway and, and to start inviting our community to a meal. And, and so this is what happened. Let's, let's watch as, as Susan and Denise share what's happening on the Salem campus. So we had been doing a community dinner every month um, at the Mount Washington School. And uh, we had one planned for March, but obviously we were not able to do that. So wanted to do something to meet the needs of um, the people who we had started to make relationships with. So we came up with the idea to have a grocery giveaway. And then we were wondering if we would have enough donations to keep this going. <laughs> but it grew and grew. And as each week it grew, the donations came and God multiplied, just like the fish and loaves. We would talk with the people and find out some personal stories and then say a prayer over them that was very personal, related to what they were going through. And at the end of the prayer, the woman with teary eyes looked at me and said, I really received that. Uh, one week we had a man come through and he asked me what paperwork he needed. Because a lot of times when you go to a pantry, you need certain paperwork. And I just said, we're serving the children of God here so everyone qualifies. And he got teary eyed and said he'd never had to do anything like this before and was kind of embarrassed and just being able to make him feel like it was okay and we were here to help everyone. And we had a woman who came through and was just about to have a baby. Baby number seven. Baby number seven, <laughs> car full of kids, so we were able to help her every week. We didn't think we could get it, keep it going 10 weeks, but we were able to because of what God did. So it built my faith a lot to see, to watch God multiply right. um, all, all the food that came in. And we always had enough groceries. If we ended up with two bags of groceries, we'd be packing up and two cars would pull in. And it was just always miracles like that. Right. Like we always had enough. And and we had donations from La Soup and it always uh -huh. seemed like we had exactly the same number of soups that we had bags of groceries right. by the Everything end of the night. Everything just, so. it was just miraculous. So when we came to the end of our grocery giveaway, we realized that obviously there was a need in the area and we wanted to keep something going. But we didn't want to just have people drive through and get groceries and pray over them. We wanted to invite them um, to some fellowship with us. We wanted to be able to share the word of God with them um, and have them sit down. We could talk with them and really start to really form some deeper relationships. So we decided that uh, we could have a meal outside. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. You give me joy down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul.
Very cool, isn't it? How God just, uh, we bring what we have and God uses it. You see, God asks us to do good, to bless people with acts of kindness and grace. He wants you and I to interrupt the normal flow of their lives, to let people know that they matter to God, that they matter to us. And when we do something to bless the lives of others, when we are willing to offer what we have been given for the sake of others, God will use these very ordinary things to create extraordinary things. With our, when our limited resources are put into uh, Jesus' hands, miracles will begin to happen. But there's another reason why God did this miracle. He wanted his disciples to grow from this. He wanted them to increase their faith so that they would learn to trust him even when things looked hopeless, even when things looked impossible. And he wanted to empower them for ministry, to show them what he could do through them if they would simply make themselves available. But not only that, it was a sign to them that the kingdom of God was breaking into this world in a new and powerful way. You see, the, under, the crowd begins to understand that something supernatural has taken place. And so they say, surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. What does that mean? Well, in Deuteronomy 18, God said this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything that I command him. My friends, for 2,000 years, the Jewish people had been looking for this prophet, and the crowds think that they see in Jesus the fulfillment of the Scripture. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and he's inviting you and I to be a part of that, and he invites us to, to bring what we have and to let him bless it and to use it as a blessing to others. Jesus is not interested in what we don't have and what we can't do. He simply asks us to do what we can with what we have and to leave the rest of it to him. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for this story, for it reminds us of what can happen when we bring what we have and you infuse it with the supernatural. Well, God, help us to bring our uh, five barley loaves and our two fish. Help us to bring our gifts, our talents, our skills, our time, our money to be used by you in a new and powerful way that we might be a part of transforming this world to the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.